Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charjon Simmons. Welcome into episode 80 of the Pegasus Podcast. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. I guess we're just going to make it uh, a habit to start the podcast with a recruiting update uh, before our, our main topic, because that's what we did last week with Isaiah Nixon decommitting. We're doing it again this week, but it's good news. It's a good I, like it better when, I like it better when it's good news. Yeah, me too. Um, just what, a couple hours? I mean, there were, were like reports and this was kind of like, we knew this was coming, but it became official maybe a couple hours before we started the podcast uh, here on this Monday. But former five-star running back Demarcus Bowman has committed to UCF. He, I mean, he won't be eligible this year. Like, I guess he can apply for a waiver. He probably won't get one, but it doesn't matter. It's like the UCF doesn't need another running back this year. The fact that they got him for next year going into the Big 12, like that, that's a huge get. He came from Florida. Before that, he was at Clemson. Um, and he's just, he's a good, he's a great player. And it gives UCF, I mean, I think, I can't, it's hard, it's hard to say which, which part of it's bigger. It's just the fact that he's such a good player, but also the idea of, you know, getting a pipeline in Polk County and with Lakeland high school, like, yeah, I think that's as big as anything to be honest with you. And I mean, this is one of those moves where like on a, from a recruiting perspective, this is like probably the most recruiting rankings based talent level player to ever be on UCF's roster. I mean, I saw some stat that he was one of the 50th, one of the 50 highest rated running backs of all time on two, four, seven. And it hasn't worked out for him so far in his career. And I did want to talk about that a little bit because obviously like other fans, like USF fans who offered him, by the way, because Jeff Scott was his primary recruiter when they got him to Clemson or like, Oh, he's washed up and whatever his Mike Farrell point or Farrell. I never know how to say his name pointed out that what's held him back has been largely off field stuff and not bad off field stuff. It's actually really sad. The reason that Bowman left Clemson after a year was because his um, grandfather who lived in Atlanta and was his only family near Clemson died. And then his grandfather who lived in Florida died as well. And he just felt like he had to come home. So he ended up back at Florida. As you guys know, since we played them in the bowl game all last year, the Florida situation was a mess for a lot of players on that team last year. And now it's a new coaching staff and he was just ready to get out. And UCF was the team that offered him the best opportunity and there was uh, from what's been like out there, there were some like major programs like blue blood programs that were interested in getting him on the roster, but he's sticking. He wants to stay at home and come to UCF. And that's the whole thing was this was Gus's pitch and his theory from when he took the job was like, you can build UCF because there's so much talent here. Even if you don't get them the first time around when they're looking to transfer, they're not going to transfer from one faraway part of the country to another. They're going to want to transfer home. And if UCF's a good enough program to make that something they'd like to do, then it's a home run. And this was like the perfect example of that. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And it's it's actually, I don't know why I'm now remembering they, he went to Lakeland High School, correct? That's right. He's now, I don't know, he might not even be just a second, maybe more than that, but they just had a recruit from Lakeland High School sign this past class. It was KT Thompson. It would be very big if UCF could make that area a pipeline. It really would, because so much talent comes out of there. And that's talent that traditionally is. And it really more. is it's in their like in their radius that they talk about all the time. Like it's not far from Orlando. I looked it up. Lakeland high school is not even an hour and a half drive. I mean, like his family and whoever can be at every single game he plays. I mean, that's the pitch for all these players. And I just, I'm really excited about him. I don't, I I know uh, some people are kind of like, Oh, well he'll be eligible because you know, the NCAA, they just don't care anymore. And like, I agree that the NCAA doesn't care anymore, but I would be surprised if he's eligible because Brandon Jennings, it was easier to pitch because he was at Kansas state for like literally like eight weeks. Yeah. So you could kind of pitch that to the NCAA is this didn't even really count. It was just a mistake. It was whatever, just wipe it off the books. This is like, he spent a year at Clemson and transferred to Florida, then spent a year at Florida and transferred to UCF. Jason Beatty pointed out in his story that he's going to have four full years of eligibility. And I think that just him having a year to just acclimate to UCF and kind of get back on track after a first couple rough, his first two years being kind of rough to college and getting back to what he can be. I mean, I think that he can end up just being fantastic. I mean, you could like, it never works out the way you expect it to. So like grain of salt, but like, I'm thinking like 2023, 2024, 25, even it's like, you could see an era where uh, Bowman and McDonald are like the, this amazing one, two punch at running back that UCF can just ride to really doing well in the big 12. I mean, it's just exciting. And then when you add in Xavier Townsend, like that's just, why can I not remember he exists? Have we talked about this on the podcast before? I don't know if you're on the, on the podcast, you and I have talked about it off well, I don't know, like mix everything that we talk about, like on the podcast and not, but 
yeah, it's just, it's, I think, I don't know. We'll probably, we might talk to him because we're going to start some season preview stuff here actually pretty soon. Um, so yeah, and it's annoying. I can't remember he exists because I might put him in the top three of freshmen who are going to like have a good shot at mattering this year, because I, I think say, that I, I think he can have an impact this year. Well, the way that Gus wanted to use Ryan O'Keefe, O'Keefe was good in that role, but Townsend was built for that role. Like just right. kind of your do it all, you know, jack of all trades type guy that you can plug in all over the field and he can be a big play threat threat. So I know he's only a true freshman. I don't want to put too much expectation on him, but like, he's a guy that we might see a lot of like early. So I yeah, don't know why I can't remember he exists. <laughs> when you think about it too, is I know like everybody's like excited and would love the Bowman to get a, you know, to get a waiver and everything for this year. But like, I don't know that I want the UCF running back room to be more crowded than it already is. I would I legitimately, I would, this year. I would legitimately prefer he not get a waiver to be totally yeah. honest with you, because I, it, like you just said, it just complicates things. I mean, you've got Bowser, from a, Johnny, from a, management, from a talent management standpoint, I guess we should say, cause like, obviously like it, I, it would be nice for him to be able to play. Well, no, I am not saying I'm, I'm sure he yeah. would love to play this year, but I also just think his personal circumstance, I think it would do him well yeah. to sort of take a year off, you know, just with the way things have unfolded for him. And I, it could honestly work out perfectly because Bowser's gone after this year, regardless of what happens. He's a fifth year. I think he has a good shot at getting drafted if he stays healthy. And, and he's, uh, he's a totally different build than Bowser. He's more of like an AK guy who's just small and fast as hell. But if, you know, you can just plug in another elite running back after Bowser is gone, which is really what he could be coming off of his high school talent, then having a year to really learn the system, learn the offense and get back to being his best self. And then you're going to the big 12, with just a plug and play awesome running back. That's awesome. Like that's amazing. Would Versus nice. this year where he's still probably getting under his feet again. He's competing for reps with three other guy. I don't know. It, it's, it's more complex if he it's able to play this year. Yeah. It's a weird situation. You're never really rooting for a player to not be eligible. I'm not rooting for him to not be eligible, but like, that it version the of the situation thing. works out more yeah, yeah it works yeah. out better you know yeah definitely but yeah definitely some big news coming out on this monday making this monday a little bit better a big boom from uh, gus malzahn's twitter account but take that we'll... isaiah nixon <laughs> just kidding it's fine so do whatever what you want um <laughs> we're really not that was i just want to be clear yeah. that was totally a joke I, <laughs> yeah. you know no ill will towards isaiah it's just nixon. it's just a, a big difference from last week we're sitting here talking about like oh like what's what's gonna happen here like we even said last week like, that'll be fine but it still was like not fun to lose your highest rated recruit. Well, it's funny now, about it's how it's just more fun to talk about this. It's funny how much things have changed from a few years ago because yeah, UCF lost Isaiah Nixon to Florida and that sucks. But five years ago, it would have been like, oh man, UCF lost their top rated recruit to NC state. And now it's like <laughs> all these guys they're talking about, it's okay. They lost their top recruit to Florida, but they just took a five-star transfer away from Florida who was, you know, having issues there. Uh, an FSU commit, a tight end, Randy Pittman, just decommitted from FSU. And the thinking is that it was probably because UCF's about to flip him. I mean, the fact that these, those are the type of programs UCF's in the conversation with for recruits now versus lower tier. And it's not perfect. I mean, listen, like there are, there are recruits that, you know, UCF really wants to land who it looks like they're going to go to some mid-tier power fives. And that sucks. There needs to be less of that, but just UCF's on a different level recruiting wise, as far as the players they're in the mix for. And given that all that has happened is they've gone nine and four. <laughs> like yeah. I, I you know it's it's that's really exciting to see there's there's so much to come i think and and just a, a really good season this year would go a long way um but speaking of really good seasons you and i got to cover a couple of them while we were students at ucf which is i feel like a very unique thing um and it was a lot of fun and i think throughout our podcast like this is our 80th episode and like we've obviously told like stories and <clears throat> made references and stuff here and there <clears throat> about some of our background and everything but this idea came out of i don't remember where it even came from it just came to my mind and it also came as like it's june we don't have a lot to talk about but um we're kind of revisiting that 25 game winning streak between 2017 and 18 and kind of just like through our eyes and talking about some of the big moments and what it was like covering those moments and and being there and where exactly we were because i know christian has especially unfortunate but also kind of funny story about where he was for the mike hughes kickoff return um but we'll get to that one in a second we'll start with we'll start with the 2017 memphis game in which i kind of had a fit at the end of the game and i want to point out before we even get to 2017 memphis that after the fiu game i tweeted that ucf was going to go undefeated and win a new year six bowl and um people thought that was a joke and i'll be totally then, honest it was a joke but um then ended up coming <laughs> I was true, say, so. can i then point out that you said the next week that milton would get benched Oh yeah. So I should, we push We should point out. So I, so I started covering my first season covering UCF is 2016. That's what I wanted to ask you. Who'd you cover them for in 2016? So I wasn't sure, like we've been friends for five or six years now. And I didn't remember 
if you okay. cover the 2016. So my my journalism history as far as covering stuff was, which I don't know what I don't know why I said as far as covering stuff, like there's another version of journalism <laughs> history was my freshman year at UCF was 2015. I didn't do anything in fall 2015 because I was just like, you know, getting acclimated to college. Spring of 2016, I got on with the Central Florida Future, which was the school newspaper for like decades and decades. And I got on covering UCF softball. That's the first thing I ever covered was UCF softball. And I I like went in on it. Like I they were at they would play like um tournaments at Wide World of Sport, Wide World of Sports. I drove out there, it was a great time. Then our friend Evan, who I ended up co-founding Night Sports Now with, fired me from the Central Florida Future. I think we've told that story. Uh, we've mentioned that before because he didn't know who I was yet or how amazing I was. And also there was a senior who needed to get clips for their portfolio. So they took priority. So I got I got canned. And then that fall, I got on with the Orlando Sentinel as a freelancer with Evan, which is how Evan and I actually became really good friends. And that's what led to Night Sports Now. Um, so we were both like basically like kind of like assistants, quote unquote, like if you've ever read Orlando Sentinel coverage on game days, like I would usually take like the notebook, which was just like, you know, odds and ends of the game. And I actually started, I don't, now I'm getting way down the weeds. It was actually really cool because the way I got exposed to a lot of other programs was my job. I don't know why the Sentinel wanted this, but for the second half of 2016 was I would write away team reactions to UCF. So I would go to like their pressers and their post game and talk to like Willie Fritz or Tommy Tuberville and about like what they thought of UCF. So that really long-winded way to say I was working for the Orlando Sentinel in 2016. Like I don't think I realized because you did that again in 2017, didn't you? Yeah, 2017 I was kind of splitting it because we'd founded yeah. Night Sports Now at that point. So I was sort of doing both, which the Sentinel didn't care. Like they were like I don't you're, think I you're, you're a blog. You're not a competitor. So I kept doing stuff for them at the same time. I don't think I realized that you did that in 2016. I didn't not know that. But yeah, the only time I broke off is I wanted to write a uh, uniform story and the Orlando Sentinel did not want that. So I went to NSM today and wrote a uniform story <laughs> in 2016. And then in 2017, if you guys can go look it up now, almost every single notebook I wrote in 2017 for the Orlando Sentinel led with what the uniform was and why it was cool. So, well, I, I got my start. So I came, I started in 2016 as my first year. And um, I always forget writing, you're younger than me. I don't know yeah. why I can't remember that. To graduate at the same time, maybe. I don't know. No, that's but, why. I, that's exactly um, why. <laughs> 2016. And I covered some like UCF soccer, actually a lot of UCF soccer, a lot of UCF volleyball my first semester. And then the first game I ever covered, uh, for football game I ever covered for UCF was in, um, it was actually the last game of the season. It was the, not last, yeah. It was the USF game. Cause I was, I think it was. Oh, you covered that in I Tampa. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was like, I was already gonna be home for Thanksgiving break, visiting family anyway. So I was like, oh yeah, like I can cover it. And then I was able to do that. Not a fun game to cover um to say the least but yeah that was the first one and then 2017 was like the first time i got a chance to actually like cover mostly a full season and like you go to you're like, welcome and yeah <laughs> thank you for the opportunity sir um i'm taking just, no credit for it it was just we all you know found it yeah. at the same time but i like to i like to make fun because it was like Evan and I's idea so i always act like i'm just superior to the other people who started with us even though bailey still to this day has written more articles on night sports now than i have because i just <laughs> churn stuff out Anyway, this has gotten super inside baseball. Let's get to yeah, 20, really 2017 Memphis was the first one we're going to talk about. I think part of the reason I, I picked this one is because of a little fit I had at the end of the game, but also just because like this was maybe our first like clue that like this UCF team was going to be different. Like they were going to be like they were going to be as good as they were because Memphis came in like as I forget who they beat the week before. A couple so weeks before. I can tell you who they beat the week before. And this is one of those things where it's like I just feel like this was five years ago. So I can just start saying stuff like that probably seems <laughs> right. Right. Cause it was five years ago. Sure. So that game, if you will remember was postponed due to hurricane Irma. And I want to point out, so the game was originally set for Saturday at 8 PM. They moved it to Friday at 6 30 PM. Everything was fine. And then this is the part that like is quote unquote rumored or whatever. I don't know what's public. What's not at this point. Cause it's been five years. Memphis could have played that game and backed out. And because, again, the hurricane didn't make landfall till like, Sunday night. Like, there was no reason the game couldn't have been played on Friday. But Memphis was like, the hurricane, it's dangerous for our players. We have to get out of Orlando, blah, 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 blah. What that was all about was that Memphis was playing UCLA the next week. Memphis did not feel good about playing at UCF, and Memphis thought they would have a chance to get into the top 25 if they beat UCLA because UCLA was the top 25 team at that point. So they would prefer to go to UCLA, who they felt they matched up well against, beat UCLA, then come into the bounce house as a top 25 team with momentum. They felt that would give them a better chance against UCF. So Which, there you go. That all worked out for them. Until um, they did not get back. They did not get ranked off beating UCLA. And then they got killed by UCF. So none of their they little were, rumored magic plan worked out. They were like receiving votes though, right? They were, they, but they okay. were coming in, like they were going to that game. I don't think people remember like to set the stage for 2017, UCF was coming off six and seven. I think around the program, like I was expecting them to win like nine or 10 games. I think that was where most people were at. 
Um, but USF was by far the favorite at, for the New Year's Six bid, and Memphis was considered like in that conversation too. So it's funny to look back on Memphis came into that game with way more hype than UCF did. Yeah, and then UCF just trashed them, demolished them. It was, it was so forty bad. to thirteen, forty to thirteen, and I think what what the little fit that I've been talking about was I was writing the game story for that. And we always like to have the game story live, like as soon as clock hit zero, you know, push it live, have it all ready to go. Um, so I had the story ready to go, especially in a blowout like that. And I think it was like, I think it was 40 to seven. I think it was. Yep. Because there was a, it was like the last few seconds, had it ready to go all you know, multiple places, probably in the headline, multiple places in the story I'd written 40 to seven. And then Memphis scores a garbage time touchdown with like a few seconds left. And you and Sarah were done with your work for the time. Like we were about to go down to the press conference after that. And I was very, very annoyed that this happened. And it was a very, very minor inconvenience for some reason. I don't know what, it just triggered a reaction out of me. And then it got worse because I realized Sarah, our friend Sarah was video or she was recording me on her phone, just like angrily typing. And then we have like, Sarah still has a video of me just like punching or like pushing the phone out of her hand. So yeah, and then you I think could, we got up, I slammed my chair or something like that when I pushed my chair in, like I did it aggressively. You guys if, have listened to this podcast for any length of time. You know that <laughs> Bailey is a very mild-mannered guy and I can't overstate how livid he was that he had to change the score in a headline. And then I think in like the body. Well, yeah, yeah. Like in like the first graph. And you were just so angry. And we're like, relax. Then you saw Sarah filming you and you batted the phone out of her hand. <laughs> then you get up and you shove your chair and you literally like stomped like a kid going to his room down to the press conference. It was the funniest thing. I don't you know, know what it was about that. Part of part of it, I think, is like when you know when you don't want something to happen, like I was rooting so hard for it to not happen. And then it happened. I think that's what it was. It was just like, it wasn't even really like, it was in, It was just a minor inconvenience. But I think it was just like, oh, don't give up a touchdown. Well, it was also then, annoying because we were, that Night Sports Now existed for like two months at that point. And we were trying to build it up and get it like known to people. And part of our way of doing that was we wanted a story published at the gun. Like the second the game ended, we wanted a story up. And UCF had this freaking habit that year of like blowing someone out, but then allowing a touchdown with like two minutes left. I mean, it was so, A, you'd have to rewrite everything because if you included like a yardage total or like yep. possession time, anything like that. It, it, so it was just really freaking frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a fun moment, but and I think it's, it's, I said this to you the other day, because I've tweeted in recent years about how much I just hate garbage time touchdowns. When, when you give them up, obviously when you score them, sure. But when you give up a garbage time touchdown, it just sucks. I think this might have been when it started. That might have been the when, start. Might have been it. You just got that bad experience. This was also like back in early 2017, like UCF's popularity was not what it is now. Like we've talked about UCF, the way the media presence has grown is crazy. Like both of I had one-on-one -on -one interviews with Scott Frost <laughs> and not like we scheduled them, but just like Scott Frost had an access and we were the only human beings who showed up. I literally still remember one time yeah. in 16, Frost comes out of practice and he sees me and he's like, it's just you. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's just me. And he's like, yes. And he's like, all right, what are your questions? I'm like, guess I have a one-on-one with Frost. And no one yeah. cared because it was 2016 and no one was watching UCF. But <laughs> so the press box was like fairly empty for this too. So it's just like, you know, like nine people, 10 people. And it was Plus, quite I think everybody had gone down. A bunch the... of people had gone down. So it was mainly the SIDs and a couple people finding their stories. And Bailey's just like, come on. Like, so <laughs> yeah, I didn't enjoy that. But what I did enjoy, and actually I didn't even cover this game. I was in the, in the stands in the student section. Warren I four that year. Obviously, everybody knows the game, forty nine to forty two, with Mike Hughes kickoff return. Um, when that happened, I'm pretty sure the student section just turned into a mosh pit, and like I lost my hearing for a second, and like my head was like ringing. But let's hear your story from uh, from covering this game. So I feel like I should preface the story by saying that I am nothing but grateful to the Orlando Sentinel for helping me get my start in journalism, and uh, the people who worked there were very nice and friendly, and um, it, great, great, great all around. So for the USF game, you guys, if you're listening to this, you know all about it. Insane game. And the Mike Hughes return is considered the like the greatest play in UCF history, right? I feel like that's fair to say. Yeah. I was at the game. I watched the whole game. I did not see that play. And I did not see that play because the Orlando Sentinel beat writer at the time, um, I was, I, you know, like I said, you're a freelancer. When you're a freelancer, you do what they ask you to do. And she said, I would like you, Christian, this was like with four minutes left in the game. I really want to make sure I have a front row seat at the, uh, at the presser. And I want to go down the, to the field to watch the rest of the game on the field. So could you just go straight to the media room right now and just save me a seat? And I'm like, okay. With like gritted teeth. Or the other thing, the reason that had to happen was because for some reason for that game, they, I don't know if you remember this date, 
switched media access to the recruiting lounge, I guess, because there was a bunch of media there. So it was like, I don't know what that was about. But so I go and because it switched to a different place than usual, the door's locked. So I walked all the way down. I'm just like, I guess I'll just sit at the door. So I'm sitting there and I texted Sarah because Sarah's on the field shooting the game. And I was like, I need you to stop taking photos and just text me every single thing that happens in real time. And she was like, okay. And before I even get her text, I'm sitting there and I don't know what the heck is going on. I'm like nervous as hell, obviously, because it was a tie game when I get down there. Or no, I think that, yeah, USF had just tied it when I went downstairs because I literally had just missed the play. And you just hear, I remember it's quiet, quiet. And then the noise level just goes up, 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 up. And it's this freaking roar. And I look and one of the like cops, like one of the people who's just there for security is running towards like the (laughs) snack place going, they returned it, they returned it. I'm like, oh my God. And I run over to the freaking snack bar and there's a TV and I'm just watching the celebration. (laughs) And I, so yeah, that's my Mike Hughes, you know, touchdown story. And then I didn't even know what the game was over or what, because I'm sitting here like, oh man, now USF is going to have the ball back. And then 10 seconds later, the whole place starts cheering and I hear Zombie Nation come on. I'm like, what the hell happened? And that was when Wilcox fumbled. So yeah, so these are the sacrifices you make for media. Sometimes you just don't actually watch them. Um, the game because you need to also if i remember right when i like saved a seat like no one wanted to sit in the front row so there were like 90 <laughs> seats so fun they times. must they must not have had as many tv monitors in the concourse back then maybe or maybe it was just let's say because nowadays i think like every stand well not every like stand but every snack area i think has one yeah there was not one near me like and like and honestly like i don't know like why i didn't go i don't know why i didn't go walk the 40 feet to find one and watch the game but i just you know it's like when you're told to do something you don't want to screw it up yeah. so you're just kind of like but like i must hold post here at this door yeah so i did not oh, watch man. the greatest play in ucf history live so that's really cool well we'll get to one later we have a little rapid fire one that we'll talk about later that i didn't get to witness um but the ac championship game the very next week that one i remember Actually, I was gonna remember, and I was saying, wait, did we? We were sat next to each other for that game, right? No, we did not. In the press uh, box. I feel no, like I once, came down. I'm gonna once again say how grateful I am to the Orlando Sentinel and um, all the opportunities they gave me. Um, so for that game, the Orlando Sentinel brought two columnists and forgot to ask for an extra seat. So I showed up to the press box, and I don't remember. Who, I think it was Andy was the SID at that point. Andy was like, yeah. "Oh, there's just not a seat for you." And like, it was a AAC championship game, so it was like packed. It wasn't like they could mm-hmm. just put me somewhere else. I'm like. Okay, so I watched the entire 2017 AAC championship from, um, what are the things called? The little, um, the drone thing on like wires that's like flying around during games, oh, Skycam uh, or whatever. Skycam, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they had a Skycam for that and the operator was in the press box and he has this big HD screen and a little toggle stick. It looked like an Xbox controller that he runs it with. So I, I literally just was like, can I stand here? And I just stood like literally over his shoulder, like inches from his face and I watched the entire game that way. Okay, so what it was, was the by the end of the game, I don't know if everyone had gone down already, but you were next to me at the end of the game. Okay, so this is another like media thing for you guys is that media are allowed. Well, I don't know if they are post-COVID. I don't think it's a thing anymore, but you used to be allowed. You could go on the field before the game and you can go on the field when there's four minutes left. I think it's four minutes left, mm-hmm. six minutes, something like that. And a lot of media, especially media who, did, who didn't work for a newspaper and weren't on deadline, would just, they wanted to go down to the field to watch the game. I never, ever, ever did that because I thought it was dumb. Like, I can't see what's going on from the field. Like, you have a better vantage point in the press box. Never understood that. But so the press box would always empty out with like four minutes left because everyone got on the field. So at that point, I came and sat over next to you. I just realized I did that for the USF game I covered um, 2016. We went down to the field at the very end because it was like the game was over. We just were like, all right, let's go down. I always go down to the field before the game to see the uniforms and just like, you know, be part of the atmosphere and whatever. But like, you know, at the end of the game, I want to see what's going on. My other favorite thing from the game was um, I remember I don't like I forgot how freaking like I know that game was crazy, but I forgot that at one point UCF was up 48 to 34. Yeah. And I remember at that point, because I at this point, I was just roaming the press boxes and had a seat. And it was Juan Toribio who was at 247 at that point. He was like, that's a wrap. See in the Peach Bowl. And I was like, I don't think it's over, man. He was like, with this offense, it's over. And I was like, <laughs> and you know me, I'm just a perpetual warrior. So I was like, we'll see. And then Memphis, of course, comes back. And the well, moment I was remember- also 21 to seven at one point. See, like early on, I was like, OK, this is going to be. Yeah, and then and Milton threw like two of the most baffling interceptions I've ever seen in that game. I'm still floored by that, even though he had six touchdowns. And I remember it was I'm sitting next to you finally because everyone had left and Memphis was lining up for that field goal. And it wasn't like a crazy field goal. It was like 50 plus yards, but it wasn't impossible. And if they hit it, they were going to win the game. I remember just saying to you, I'm like, this whole dream season is just for nothing if he hits this, like this whole entire thing. And they're going to be in the freaking cure bowl. And that is literally to this day, like the most nervous I've been in any UCF moment in my life. It honestly has with that field goal. Cause it was just the idea that, and listen, it still would have been a great season, but just the, the idea that, cause it felt like UCF was kind of on this destiny path that whole season. Like, at least that's how I saw it. Like, it felt like from three games in, of course, they're going to go to the teach bowl. Like that was just the, 
and all being about to end there was crushing. It was just what it, like because obviously it was an insane back and forth game. So trying to write about that game and trying to cover that game and write a game story, that's like the quintessential like all right, delete, delete, backspace, backspace. All right, I wrote this now, and then something else happens. You got to change everything again. So then just trying to do that in overtime when like Memphis scored first in overtime, and I was like, all right, maybe I have to start taking the angle where UCF lost this game in a crushing way, and then UCF ties it, and they score in the second overtime, and I'm starting to write it, and I'm like. And then I think the, the interception happens and everyone's going crazy. I think even the like, SIDs and people are still in the press box. Like, of course, you're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but like there We're was not. a reaction. There was a reaction in the press box. And I'm just like, I'm just like still trying to type. I'm pretty sure you like nudged my arm, but I was like, I'm trying to type this. <laughs> and I was trying to finish the story so we could push it live at uh, when it was over. But that well, was also it's, just it's a crazy day. The weird thing about the ending that I remember too was Trey Neal picked that ball off so early on its trajectory that I didn't see it happen. Yeah. Like I looked yeah. past already and then everyone's just running out. And I'm like, what happened? Like I had to wait for the PA guy to be like intercepted. I'm like, by who? Like it was just a really well, that was also way just, for a game to end. That was a super long day. Cause if you remember, obviously that was the day that the Nebraska stuff came out with frost. And yep. so we, the game was at noon, we got there 10 30, 11 o'clock and you know, game goes, goes to overtime. So it's pretty long to begin with. And then we go down for the regular, press conferences um you know post-game press conferences to come back up write whatever else we have to write and while we're still up there we get an email or we just get like an announcement that danny white's gonna have a press conference about scott frost yeah because remember so espn like, oh, okay. broke the news that frost was leaving before the game was over yeah um because and i remember todd mcshay asked him about it uh, in post game like right after the game the playoff. it was rough it was really which rough. like which like i understand like you, your job you got to do it like he even was like pretty sure he was like i hate to ask and Scott Frost was like, I'm not answering that. But the other frustrating thing about it to me is like one of those things that's kind of been lost to history because just what happens is what happens and you move on is like, I don't know if the average fan processes how close Scott Frost came to not taking that job. And that's not like being a UCF home or oh, we were like, it was an agonizing decision for him. And I, as like from what we were being told and just the people we worked with were being told as recently as like the Temple game before he met with them, like I did not think he was going to take it. And yeah. so on top of that, like Frost did not want to talk about that. Like it wasn't a typical coach thing of like, oh, we're focusing on these guys. He was like annoyed that he was going to have to talk about leaving for Nebraska in the midst of them winning that championship. So it was just a weird day. Because I remember his line that are just day. being like, I'm going to go celebrate with my players. Then he left. Yeah, because so. he, but, but it, well, like I said, like I, for a lot of guys, that's coach speak. That was legitimately just he didn't. And at that point, he'd already talked with, they had squared away already. Like we went into that game with Frost being like, I'm going to coach the peach bowl. Like we're going to figure out how to make it work. That was what the Danny presser was about. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like, it, it was a really weird, in hindsight, that was a really weird setup. Like it worked out perfectly, but like a coach leaving for another job, but like he basically had two jobs. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I think someone wrote, it might've been um, Andrea Adelson. Is that her name? Yeah. From ESPN. Mm -hmm. I think she wrote like a, a story, like detailing his whole month of December, like trying to prep UCF, for the peach bowl and then you know also recruiting and being up in nebraska and just the amount of travel and everything he did like i kind of want to go back and read that because it was i remember at the time reading it, it was like just i don't think people appreciate enough what what it took for him and that coaching staff to come back because no one does that no it's no happened one other time i think it was urban meyer stayed with utah yeah. before he went to florida the, one of the saddest things with frost and i still remember this I, it got reported at some point i need to look up who reported it but at one point when he was talking about what he was going to do pretty late in the season. He said, I'm afraid because right now I have two great homes. And if I leave to go to Nebraska and I fail, I'll have no homes. And it feels like that's kind of what's happened. And that's like really sad to me. Like you yeah. obviously wish Scott Frost had stayed, but it's not like a hypo situation or, you know, it just, it's like that line's always kind of hard on me just because it's exactly what ended up happening. And maybe he'll turn around this year in Nebraska, but it's like, and yeah, honestly, I mean, UCF fans, and I've been guilty of it at times, but it's like a lot of UCF fans just don't not only don't care for him anymore, but are kind of, rooting towards him yeah. yeah and it's gotten to the point I'm, I'm rooting for him to do well like I don't like Nebraska but I I do like him and I like I yeah I like Scott Frost I'll fully I, admit I was rooting for him to fail in the first year and I think everyone kind of was it wasn't a frosting to me it was because the entire offseason had been about it wasn't UCF went undefeated and won the Peach Bowl it was Scott Frost went undefeated and won the Peach Bowl and now UCF will just go back to being nothing, even though UCF had won a BCS Bowl. That, and it was just like, I just, I needed that narrative to change because it was crushing to me that UCF had had their best season in school history and was earning exactly no credit for it. And yeah. luckily things worked out. I mean, the narrative has totally changed now. Frost failed at Nebraska. UCF went to the Fiesta Bowl that next year. UCF has been in the top 25 twice since he left. It's like, so, I, you know, but it's just so that year it was, but it's gotten to the point where it's just like, 
just figure it out. You know, <laughs> like I yeah. mean, it's going to be awful when he gets fired this year. Yeah. The uh, Peach Bowl, we were both uh, – we've talked about that one a little bit more on the podcast, I think, how you were in one end zone I was in the other end zone. Yeah, we waved to each um, other. So I don't know if there's really a lot. I just think – I did not cover the know. Peach Bowl because we – Night Sports Now was there. Sarah and Evan and Zach all went yeah. and covered it together. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And um, I just – my main reason to not be as a fan is – I've talked on the podcast before. We've had him on. My dad uh, went to UCF and was UCF fan. I grew up a UCF fan, so I just kind of wanted to, like, do that with him because it was the biggest game and program yeah. history i mean the one thing with the peach bowl for me is like I, when i was looking back at it was like i remember one of my main thoughts was just being thrilled that ucf was up at halftime like i was like we did it this is basically a win like sometimes i just forget how much narratives have changed in the last five years like the i the consensus even among a lot of the fan base was ucf was not going to win that game it was just like oh we're in this yeah I, I mean it was cool we'll and then i remember that the auburn comes out to start the third quarter and just races down the field and scores a touchdown i'm like it's over but the, <laughs> the other crazy thing because i was watching some of these games the last couple of days here for the podcast is i th- like milton was awful awful the first half i and i don't think like that's not a ding on milton it was just it was no. a really big stage and i get being nervous and he was whiffing on some really easy throws and it's like if milton and then the second half he was amazing but if milton was on that whole game i think ucf wins that game like 45 to 27 yeah and really what kept them in it and what had them leading early on was that he was still able to make plays with his legs yeah like he was he was still making those types of plays but his like the throws that he, he was making he was missing guys that were like wide there open, were ter- there were really t- overthrowing people there were two surefire touchdowns that he just whiffed on the throw one was to Aikens and I think the other was to Otis like literally like they are wide open streaking for the end zone and he just overthrows it by five yards and it's like I, it's so funny to think about because we talk about what a monumental win that was and the fact that UCF had a team that if they'd been playing a peak capacity would have just beat up on the SEC runner-up and they still won the game and fairly easily it's like I just did that I don't I don't know that's the best team in school history, but I just feel like we somehow still don't give enough credit to how freaking good that team was. <laughs> so much of that game was such is like is a blur to me when I look back at it. Like I remember certain parts of it. I remember like how loud it was in there, and I remember like the ending of it and how it's going crazy. But like walking out of the stadium, I can't remember it. Like I, I vaguely remember walking around the stadium, like once we were actually out of the stadium. But like we got in the car and we drove home that night. And I just like barely remember parts of, like some of that parts of that day are just completely. God, you drove home right after the game. Yeah. I, I mean, went I, back I to the, the back uh, of the car home. I went back to the hotel bar and watched Oklahoma, Georgia Rose Bowl, which ended up being a uh, trying to watch that on my phone. All time game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That was a crazy day. I remember because we've talked about before in the podcast that Bailey is also an LSU fan. Cause that's the uh, school he grew up as a fan of. And LSU lost what bowl is it? The citrus bowl or something outback. The, bowl, um, yeah. But a, Citrus Bowl in Orlando, yeah. And it happened right about right around the time the Peach Bowl did. And I remember texting you and I was like, oh, that sucks. And you were like, I don't even care. Like the, this day is so great. And then two hours go by and you text me, I'm starting to feel pretty down about the LSU thing. It was like once the high of the Peach Bowl went yeah, down. I was keeping up with the uh, LSU game on my phone, but I was like not really like that focused on it. Cause it was like, it was a Citrus Bowl. They were playing Notre Dame. And I was like, I'm at the Peach Bowl. Like this is such a bigger game. And like, this is what I care about right now. But like on the on the drive home, you know, it's a long drive home, and you're kind of just like, all right, what happened in this game? And I start like watching highlights, or like scrolling through Twitter, and I'm like, oh, that sucks. I shouldn't have, like it. It was just like I don't even I don't remember how they lost. I just remember it was like a late loss, I think. And I was like, that oh, kind of sucked. Um, we'll Little talk did we about, know that those uh, teams' fates would be intertwining yeah, we'll just a year later. <laughs> a um, I don't. We don't have a, to, to dwell on this a bunch. It's just kind of a weird thing that happened where uh, the Memphis game in 2018, the 31 to 30 win at Memphis. I think. If I remember this right, correct me if I'm wrong, but your parents were out of t- you were at the game, right? My they parents were at the game, and the game. you were you were at home dog sitting. Or yeah, I had I had to I had to go to their place to dog sit because they went to the yeah. game. And um, so this was the time that Christian and I and our, one of our other friends Matt was living together, or we're all living together in at Tivoli across from UCF, and it was just a weird like happen a happenstance where like it was an away game where Christian wasn't there. And so we had people over at the game and it was just weird that like, I think we were texting. Did you turn off the game? So like, we were texting and you were like uh-huh. freaking out. And this was got to the point where like the winning streak was such a thing by then where you're like, you just, anytime it could potentially come to an end, it was just like the worst thing in the world that could happen. And that game was like, it was, it was going to end for a little while there. So I did turn it off and um, I need to explain that. So first I'll let me preface this, that I have been a UCF fan my entire life. I've been watching UCF games my entire life. I've been, I've been watching UCF games since before they were on TV, you know, and you were either at the game or you were just going to find out what happened later. <laughs> yeah. And that w- without a doubt is my least favorite game I have ever watched this team play. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. And it was just like you said, I think we've forgotten that 
when the win streak was active, anytime you thought you were going to lose it, like made me want to die. And that game was just such a perfect mix of agonizing and just terrifying. And I didn't turn the game off in anger. I wasn't angry at the team. I wasn't angry at the coaches, even though Killen's right. remember he yelled at Hypel on the sideline. Um, call some effing plays was Adrian Killen's <laughs> quote from that game. And then I believe it was two minutes later, Hypel called the uh, let's go bone play. <laughs> so yeah. I listen, but um, it was literally just, I felt like I was going to throw up. Like I was so sick. I just had to stop watching. And oh, I've done the same thing multiple times. I am not exaggerating when I, and I told Sarah, I was like, Sarah's just my go-to of like, just text me scores of these games, please. <laughs> if I can't watch them, apparently I'm realizing that's twice on this podcast. I mentioned I asked her to text me scores. So I just texted her. I was like, just, just give me like really light updates on what's happening. Cause I just need to turn the TV off. So I turned the TV off and just started pacing my living room back and forth. And I'm not kidding. I turned it off and the let's go bone touchdown was the next play. And UCF immediately made it a game again. And I was like, I can't turn the TV back on. If I turn the TV back on, they're going to lose the game. So I just stuck with that and I stuck with that. And then finally, it was the last play of the game, which remember it was Memphis was trying to score and no one's texting me. You'd stop texting, Sarah, stop texting. I'm freaking out. So I turn on the TV and I literally could not have time this better. The TV comes on and it's, and UCF will hold on to win. And I'm like, I think the receiver in that he caught it and he caught it inbounds. And so like, it was just a, kind of a, a sudden or not a sudden, like, it was a realization over a few seconds. So I was like, oh, they're not going to get back to the line. He wasn't going to get, back, get back to the line. And then it, then once you realize, you're like, okay, they, they kept it going. They somehow won that game. But I hate that game so much. I still have never watched it in full. No, I mean, if you're even, the and game, even the highlights, even the highlights, you got to start in the second half. And even the highlights, I don't think I've watched in a couple of years. I just really, really hate watching that game in any way. I hated that game. <laughs> also, the uniform combo kind of disappointed because I thought it was going to be really cool because of the Chrome. UCF decal, but it was a rainy overcast day. So it just got lost in the white helmet. And yeah, <laughs> that's not a thing anyone who's listening cares about, but it affected my mood over the game. Yeah, so it could be. Okay. College game day. I hated that game. Well, not game day. The game day game was, uh, was great. Oh, yeah. College <laughs> game was a college game day was one of my favorite experiences as a student at UCF. And it had nothing. Like, I didn't cover it. Like that was by that time. You dropped out by that. Point. I had essentially quit <laughs> yeah. at that time. Um, because the, I, so I covered the temple game two weeks before. And I had already planned to not cover the Navy game um, the week before the college game day game, because my mom was coming into town. Matt's mom was coming into town. We were doing like a mother son game. So we were doing that. And then that night was when it started to come out that they were going to get game day. And that's when I texted you. And I was like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not covering that game. I want to go to it. Um, and then you covered game day, right? You and Sarah went to like, I sort of covered game day. I, um, yeah. so it yeah, was this weird, was, it was a mess kind of. Night like sports now had dwindled from like at its high in 2017. I think there were nine of us. It was basically down to Sarah and I by most of 2018. <laughs> so Sarah got credentialed to cover it and she got to go like, she was like backstage taking photos of the photographers of the actual like show. And I just had my gear on and my press pass and I was just walking around talking to people. So I was more of like a just passive covering. Right. And um, yeah, that was, that morning was crazy. It was one of those things that like, my thing was cause I wanted to experience a little bit of game days of fans. So I went to, I think with you, we went to the pre-show game day the yeah, before, Friday. and that was like my fan experience of it. But yeah. that day is still just surreal. I memory mall is perfect for game day. Like it not, you've always see like not all campuses have a good spot for it. Memphis, even when they hosted the year after they didn't have a spot on campus, they just did it on Beale street. Like, and yeah. that spot was just perfect. The crowd was insane. The signs, like that was one of those things. And it's funny to think about, like, I've been nervous for a lot of games. Over you guys know this about me. I freak out about every game. And I just remember that morning, I'm looking at the crowd, and I'm like, I'm not even, like, 1% worried no. about this game. <laughs> like, it felt more like it just like it was going to be a celebration of UCF, like, throughout the whole day and throughout the game, too. Which like, is funny, because game... Cincinnati was 9-1 and one and in the top 25. Yeah. It wasn't, like, some th yeah. some throwaway opponent. I'm realizing now how much I really, like, want there to be a game big enough soon for UCF to host game day again. Because, like... We'll that was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. It I remember that night. Day, though. I remember that night when I when we got there. I'm down on the field before the game. Oh, Zach covered that game. Zach Zach was over. Uh, he was this is so inside ballpark. He was over at Nightly, which is like the UCF TV. Oh yeah, program. yeah. So he was on the field. And I remember we're over by a cabana because we'd asked the person in the cabana if they could change their TV to the Oklahoma State West Virginia game. I don't know why I remember <laughs> that, but um, and I'm just watching the, it. This was like more than an hour before kickoff, and I look up and the stadium is almost entirely full, and I'm just like. I've been coming to games since the stadium opened and I've never seen a crowd like this. It was just the energy was just, it was like literally buzzing through. I mean, it was insane. I'm trying to think if that was the first time I remember um, that was like, it, yeah, the stadium was crazy and you had to wait outside in line, like as a student to get into the game or else you were going to get turned away. And so we were there early enough. And then 
it was such a thing and I don't think I don't, it really isn't anymore, but it was such a thing those years or like more in 2018 that once the gates opened and students were allowed to come in, people would sprint from the student entrance to the other side. Like we would go to, we would always sit on the other side. I don't know what end zone is that the South end zone. I don't know, but like just having to sprint, I'm wearing like, cause it was kind of cold outside. I was wearing jeans and like a, like a zip up jacket and like shoes that were not running shoes. And I'm like <laughs> sprinting to the other side of the stadium and just like get there. And I'm like, I think by this point I had like two hours of sleep that night or three hours of sleep that night. Cause we went to game day. We got there like 6.00 AM. Um, and then we had like a Friendsgiving thing after that. So like I literally all day, like I didn't get to stop all day. I was just exhausted. It was like 7.30, I think. And my eyes were literally going like falling, just like falling asleep, like in the student section. And then finally the game started like 30 minutes later. And I was like, all right, I'm fine. But yeah, it was, I, I was so tired. It was just one because the day was all I mean, for people who that's what I was amazed by, because most of that crowd, I'm sure, was at game day that morning. Yeah. And so basically it was just like 10 straight hours of UCF. And for that crowd, have the end. I would love to look up because that crowd's energy. Like I want to know what the record is of teams hosting game day, because I don't understand how you lose if you're hosting game day. I think UCF could have been playing anyone that day and they would have won. I mean, that crowd, I just, and you know, UCF's crowds, it's fantastic. Every game. I mean, even when the stadium's not completely full, it's just the nature of this fan base is the crowd brings it. And it was deafening. I mean, it was just absolutely deafening the whole freaking game. I mean, and then of course UCF comes out and just trounces Cincinnati and <laughs> yeah. let's, let's ignore the part where that's still UCF's most recent top 25 win and still UCF's most recent so, win over Cincy, let's but let's not go there. Yeah. That's still one of my favorite days. And it was also the, um, very sadly, the last game that Milton completed at UCF, which, yeah. was, which to think of that at the time is just like stunning oh, to think about, yeah, you know, it's, and it's still, even looking back, it's like, it's just crazy that it was, that that was like that kind of occasion ended up being his last like game that anyone because I mean obviously he gets hurt the next week and we don't have to dwell on this we're actually kind of like going longer than I thought we would on this kind of stuff but um the next week you were covering it at USF right so I need to I need to apologize yeah and I covered it with Zach I'm wrong Zach was totally still at this point because I just remember that yeah we covered the game together um yeah that was I didn't see the play oh I saw it it was not I didn't see the play I went to go get uh I think I went to go get drinks for myself and my parents i think and then all of us like i'm kind of hearing like they have the usf radio feed like over the stadium speakers out in the concourse and all of a sudden i kind of just like hear something and like the guy's voice gets like really like serious and i was like what just happened and i kind of like get to the stand like the concession stand and i like look up at the tv and i just see a bunch of people just like on the field and i was like what did i just miss what just happened and so i'm like i'm scrolling twitter i'm like what happened and then i see all like everything people are saying and i'm like it was like Going up there, I was like, all right, go get some, go get some drinks real quick and come back down. But like within the five minutes I was up there, this massive thing happened. And like my mood when I was walking back down to my seat, I was like, I was depressed. Like I was just like, this, this did not just happen. I've never and, seen the energy sucked out of a stadium like that. And it was funny because in the press box, you're just kind of like, okay, let's figure out what this is. So Zach and I and the other people who were there started trying to Google what the injury could be from the way it looked because we'd gotten the replay by that point. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to talk to people. A bunch of media went with the ambulance to the hospital. And that was when, because I Zach and I thought we figured out what it was because we thought it was a dislocated knee, which ended up being right. But like, we didn't understand everything else that had happened. Dislocated knee and a million other things. And we're looking at it. We're like, okay, dislocated knee. It's like, okay, like even worst case scenario, there's a chance he could be back for the bowl game. Like you just, you know, you pop it back and you move on. And there was a TV guy near us who had someone go to the ambulance. And the TV guy looks really despondent. And he's like, my person there just told me that they think he's going to lose his leg. And we're like, oh, come on. Like, okay. Like, let's not like, I was just like, that is peak drama. And then that whisper just started kind of coming through the press box over the next like hour. And it was just kind of like this moment of like, oh my God. And then I'm sitting here like, at that point, you're not even worried about the game anymore. You're just like, is this kid going to lose his leg? Like, it was just, that was a horrible. I barely remember anything from the rest of the game. I just, I remember, I remember Greg McRae had a good game. That's basically it. We didn't That's even write a game it. story. We just switched to talking about Milton. I mean, because yeah. it was also like USF was horrible and had lost like five straight at that point. Like, it wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't like, oh no, they're going to lose now. It just became about Milton. I mean, that yeah. game was. Man. Ugh. Then the next week was just. I mean, the emotions going into next week were insane too. I just remember delays like in throughout the stadium and it became a big thing, like, you know, for Milton and it's the conference championship game. And you're kind of wondering like, this is a team you almost lost to earlier in the year. And, you know, DJ Max starting the game and the game again, that one's just like the previous one did not start well at -hmm. all. And you're kind of like, this is really how it's going to end, huh? And then it didn't. And then Mac had 
one of the best, you know, uh, singular performances and, you know, in a single game that we've seen and they win. And I'm like, I'm like, are they ever going to lose a game again? I was like, this is just, it doesn't matter what's happening right now is like, they're just keeping the streak alive. Just somehow. It, it's funny that that was the last game of the win streak. Cause that was the win that made me truly cocky. Like that, that <laughs> happened. And I was just like, okay, that, yeah, UCF just not like, I literally in my brain was like, it could be years before we lose. I was like in the press box towards the end of the game, like looking up what's the longest win streak in college football. <laughs> But yeah. what was amazing about that game is it once again was really, I mean, I'm not Daryl Mack's performance was Daryl Mack. I can never say his name, right? Unfortunately, yeah. it was insane. I mean, I, you know, even with the fumbles, I mean, he just came in and had one of the most dominant quarterback performances in UCF history, but I'll never forget that moment where UCF is down 10 and hypels out here, hyping up the crowd with his arms <laughs> and the place. And I remember just like the TV announcers are dumbfounded. Like, they're just like, this team is down 10 and like this place is shaking. And it was just like, I, that game was just astounding. And I, that is one of my favorite UCF games ever, just because it made no sense that that one that, that they went, that they won that game. They lose their superstar. They go down big to a really good Memphis team. And then it's just like, doesn't matter. They just come second half. The second half Randy is activated. <laughs> Tristan Hill gets in the game and o, uh, Otis Anderson catches that amazing pass. That's gone down UCF lower. And it's just like, yeah, that was a heck of a day. I don't remember much about covering that game, funnily enough. Like, I don't have any real press box stories uh, other than looking well, up the I, score or other than looking up the win streak, I mean. What I just remembered when you uh, mentioned that in the moment where Heibel was, was pumping up the crowd, that was the uh, the picture of Heibel that I used on my grad cap the next year. <laughs> How funny. Because my, my grad cap said, let's go 1-0 or something like that. And it said, like, UCF 2019. And it was just a picture of him, like, with his arms in the air. It's funny to think about now. What I remember more from covering that week was the – pre-game presser because Oresco was there and it was the first yes, time I'd seen Oresco I actually I, I was there covering that did we bring Matt to that one yeah we did bring Matt to that yeah but uh yeah, yeah that was a that was that it was just like seeing Oresco after like you know because uh, UCF fans were not very fond of Oresco at that point yeah. it was just like there he is he's a real guy he's really <laughs> right here yeah no I remember that was the day where like I actually started becoming a fan of Mike Norvell and I'm just not anymore but that yeah, was that like, was also there was a thing I was not proud of with UCF fans at that point because we I I went they had both pressers in the main media room, so I was at both pressers. And at this point, at that by that season, they're back in the main stadium now, but they moved the pressers to I don't know what it's called that building, the like student study building that's connected to yeah. the stadium. And there's windows, and Mike Norvell and the players are talking about their season, and UCF fans are banging on the windows as they walk by and like screaming I don't and they that. suck and stuff. Yeah, and I'm just like, okay, guys, like I was really <laughs> pissed at the fans who did that. I don't remember that. Um... All right, the last little bit here, the Fiesta Bowl lost to LSU, which I don't have a lot to say here because I watched this game at home. And as we, I guess I do have kind of a lot to say because growing up an LSU fan, this was like, really? Like your worst nightmare. I, I, I was like, I was like, I don't think these, ever te- these teams are ever going to play each other. And then, of course, this becomes the matchup when it should have been UCF, Florida, and LSU, Michigan. Well, it made but, no sense because, A, also, uh, what can I say? It's been four years. Uh, yeah, Florida ducked UCF. That's true. I'll just say it. I don't care. Um, that's totally true. Um, but the other thing that was interesting for that was that LSU, because we were within a couple weeks, we'd realized LSU was a possibility and you were not happy about it. And then they lost to AM in that crazy overtime game. And it was like, okay, they're not going to a near six. So we're, we're clear. And then they only dropped like one spot in the rankings. And it was like, oh, they're going to a near six. And of course yeah. it was. So that game was that whole coverage thing. Cause I went out there was a really weird experience for me because I was covering both teams because I picked up freelancer work from the new Orleans advocate. So I was kind of doing everything like that was like, I was just hopping all over the place sort of like, and the you most know, jealous I've ever been of you is when you got to go, you have to go to Ed, uh, Ed Orgeron's press conference. I did. I was at every presser for both teams. That was also the weirdest way I've ever seen media access done where the Fiesta Bowl had this giant ballroom, like freaking huge at the hotel they were based at. And they put up a stand with the name of every single player that the player was just supposed to sit at. So it was like a, it was like a job fair, except each stand was a player. So it was like literally all 85 UCF scholarship players were just out there. Like everyone who made the trip. That's how they did UCF baseball media day one year. Uh, Did they? I don't know, but okay. Baseball is like 20 guys. Right. So it's like more doable. Yeah. This was just, I don't know, it was a lot of guys, but it was cool because you just end up getting a lot of one-on-ones. That was when Michael Colubiali admitted to me that um, UCF quit in 2015, and I was like, duh. Like, it's, not, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we know, but um, no, that was a cool, um, that was a cool, uh, that was a really cool experience just to, like, I, have access to everyone at once. I don't remember a ton from the game. I remember, like, the early parts of it. I just think what's funny about watching this game at home was, like, so I grew up an LSU fan largely, well, not largely, because of my uncle. My uncle grew up an LSU fan himself. And so we, we decided, like, okay, for this game, like, we had my uncle, my, or my aunt and uncle, and my two cousins over for the game. 
and my aunt makes like this really good jambalaya she brought jambalaya we had like chicken tender like a chicken tender platter i just remember having really good food basically <laughs> for the game and then you know being really like really upset that ucf lost like later in the day and then like probably two hours after the game ended i was like the, the realization hit me where i was like well okay if the streak's gonna have to end like i guess i'm kind of glad it ended against lsu and not like just some team some other team that was like my little like i was trying to cope and i don't think it really worked but i guess i guess it still rings true the one and only game of that win streak that I went in totally cocky and UCF is never going to lose again is the game they lost. I even like in the advocate, they wanted all of their staff to predict the score and everyone picked an LSU blot. I was like, UCF's going to win handily. I just threw that in there. So that's in the paper somewhere. <laughs> and yeah, that was just, you know, I, that game was a lot, to be honest, just with the way it played out. I don't know how much we need to say on it, but it yeah. was like, yeah, it was just one of those games. I, I do just remember like, the the worst part of it was you like we, we've kind of like rewritten history a little bit to be like ah UCF lost by single digits UCF was getting killed for like oh, most yeah. of the second half no, they, and they, they were down by really... a lot at one point and they came back at the end to kind of make it a close score but it was one of those games where it was just kind of like I don't know I'm never gonna be upset about losing a New Year's Six bowl does that make sense because like you're in the New Year's Six and that's the goal yeah. you know and like at least not like Cincinnati where they lose all of them so like I remember not being like. <laughs> overly upset especially given that milton didn't play it was just one of those things yeah. where it's like this sucks that they're not winning it but i'm not gonna go home depressed you know right yeah I mean, that's kind of what it was. It was like, oh it sucks that it ended but like it wasn't like it wasn't like how i was feeling the next year when they lost to pit no not the next year yeah was it the next year 2019 was when they lost to pit right i, I think really yeah 2019 was set after the pit game that's all all i have to say there i really just was really annoyed um so here's the thing we went a long time on these um 2017 2018 moments we had a rapid fire for the 2013 2014 do you want to like just pick out a couple of these or do we want to leave this up to the listeners and say hey if you guys want to hear us talk about these we'll do this as like a little mini segment at the end of let's do podcast. let's do serious rapid fire like you get a sentence okay let's just go through it let's do it 2013 right. win at penn state um that's the biggest ucf win that no one talks about i looked it up from 2013 to present when that win happened ucf still the only non-big 10 team to win at that stadium i don't know why we don't talk about that game I was uh, on the way home from a journalism camp. Trace is going to make fun of me again. Um, and I was trying to watch it on my phone. Then I got home and I watched the rest of it. Bailey mentioned Bailey mentioned that uh, on a past podcast, he went to journalism camp and Trace Trilco found that very funny and messaged both. I don't know. I still don't know why. <laughs> I still don't know why, but he thought it was hilarious. He so. also mentioned, he also messaged me this week and said the best Pegasus podcast are the ones that mentioned him. So here we go. Another one of our best episodes. <laughs> there you go, Trace. All right. Uh, 2013 win at Louisville. I watched it on my couch at home. It's going to be my answer for most of these. Um, incredibly stressful. <laughs> uh scary great times well so yeah i watched it at my house at home too it was a friday night game which was just weird because i think it was like it was in october right so i don't know i just remember like yeah i'm gonna watch this game and this was still around the time when i was like a new ucf fan but and it, i don't think the importance really stuck with me until like they actually finished the win and i was like oh that was actually a massive win um so yeah there's that the jj wharton one-handed catch at temple that wasn't a good game that was a great play, but like I'll be, I'll forever be mad that that game was close. It was freaking Temple, and they were horrible that. Well, that's year, why right? I have this as 2013, 2014 moments. UCF dropped games. like three spots in the BCS poll after that game. <laughs> I just remember my friend and I were were just hanging out, and that was the game on ESPN three. So we're watching it on my laptop when it wasn't even what is it called now? Watch ESPN or ESPN Plus? It's so ESPN Plus. It used to be watch ESPN. Oh wow. Um, yeah, it was ESPN three at the time, and we're just watching it on my laptop, and like he and I are freaking out at just a, what an amazing catch that was. Um, and he wasn't even a UCF fan. We were just watching it. You're not doing good um, at rapid fire, really getting down the rabbit hole on these. Did you, okay. When we talk about the Penn state game, your sentence, your one sentence was like five sentences wrapped up into a run on sentence. So I got I it done in 10 seconds. Whatever. No, you didn't. Uh, okay. Fiesta bowl win versus Baylor. Really good win. Really? So that's what we're doing. Okay. No, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. I actually that... have a story about this one. It's so stupid. Okay. Yeah. I watched it with my dad, which probably isn't a surprise. Um, no UCF fans. And I mean, no UCF fans thought we were going to win. I was convinced we were going to win. I think that was more just like childlike arrogance since I was like 17 or 16, but um, they actually won. And I don't, and that's a way bigger upset than the Peach Bowl. I mean, that I don't think people processed it as a Baylor was. Yeah. They were a 17 champ. They were very close to going to the national championship game. UCF was supposed to just get absolutely killed and said UCF did the killing. So quite the yeah, time. So I'll keep, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. But when I was at that time, what it was like 14 years old, 15 years old, um, I first started, started getting my interest in sports writing. So I just started my own blog, which is some WordPress site. And I have a Fiesta Bowl preview and a game story from, you know, from that wow. Fiesta Bowl. It's on, it's on a website somewhere. Yeah, I'll have to find it. Um, that's that's what I was looking it like for. It's news. Like just I was looking for it yesterday when I sent you the other one, the, the column that I wrote for that other blog. Um, 
yeah so that was that uh the ireland lost to penn state you were there right i was i went to ireland to watch ucf lose a football game what a time um my favorite oh go ahead yeah i have more my favorite thing about that game was um first off a lot of that crowd were um irish people like people actually from ireland and my favorite thing about that game was every time anything of note happened they would put up a thing on the scoreboard explaining what happened like at one point like (laughs) the the official was like false start and a big thing comes up and it, it literally was explained like so childlike because it's a game they know nothing about it's like a false start is when the team with the ball moves before the ball does and it's like exclamation point and yeah that game was that game was um that game was great because i also was like also getting into sports writing like that was around the time i was doing it so for my high school newspaper because i went to timber creek which is right by ucf i interviewed random irish people in the crowd which for me is like my nightmare about their thoughts on ucf football my other thing about the game now i'm the one going along was that I'll forever be mad to this day because I talked to a bunch of Penn State fans at the game and they were all super excited because they were on a bowl ban that season because of all the horrible Paterno stuff. And they said, this is our bowl game. Like, this is it. This is our big trip. It's our major game. Penn State played like it was their bowl game. They won the game. Then their bowl ban was lifted a week later and they also went to a bowl at the end of the season. So I don't even think I knew that. Yep. That's horrible. Fun time. Um, I just remember waking up really early and being really annoyed that they lost. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the overtime win against BYU, which is a game I think gets forgotten about that was a really I, my third game. ever instagram post was a blurry photo of the scoreboard and me saying overtime with an exclamation point because <laughs> i was young and didn't really know how social media worked and i don't think stories were a thing yet um yeah. i don't rem- i didn't remember how that game played out i do not remember ucf tying it i was because i rewatched the game today or i re- it was like a 20 minute version it was it was holman it was a free play because byu jumped offside and holman just chucks this stupid off balance 40 yard pass into the end zone that josh reese brings down which i forgot about josh reese as a player and that's how it went to overtime. I have no recollection of that, but heck of a game. Yeah, I remember, I just remember, I don't know. I don't even know what made me think of this game, what to add it here, but it was a great game. I just remember watching it at home. On a, it was a Thursday night game, right? Yep. UCF did some like huge, like, it wasn't, I don't know if you want to call it a ticket promotion, but like they were like really, really trying really hard to pack that stadium out. And they did. Yeah. And you know what they did? And then I was in my car with my dad and my friend in the softball lot for an hour and a half after the game ended because... Um, in typical UCF fashion, they made sure the stadium was packed and did not make sure they did anything else that would help with, you know, getting people out of the game after it was done. So love it. All right. Last one. Hale Perriman versus ECU. Um, I went to bed yep, when, uh, when ECU got the ball back. And then my parents came and like made me come downstairs. My dad And I'm like, what happened? It's like, just watch. And I'm like, why is he making me watch? I literally at no point was like, is he making me watch? Because they're going to win. Like, it was just too improbable. I was. Yeah, I was dead asleep. I think this was a time like I wasn't a diehard UCF fan yet. So I think like if this happened now, I probably would have still been watching, but I was just Yeah, like, I don't right, stop watching games night. anymore, but it was a school night. I have a great yeah, story a about night, this, and this sleep. is, again, one of those things that's so long ago, I don't remember who told me this, so I'm not supposed to say this, sorry, but um, Jojo Leary's brother would um, call him after the morning after every game to, like, just, you know, talk about the game or whatever, and Jojo Leary's brother turned the game off when ECU got the ball back and went to bed, and the <laughs> next morning, he calls George and says, tough loss last night, man, you know, you guys will bounce back, and then Jojo Leary just starts laughing, and he's like, we won the game, man. <laughs> That's still That's one of my favorite. I never heard that. Yeah, I never heard that. All right. Well, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Hopefully, y'all listened. Or y'all enjoyed listening to that because just I don't know stuff like that. I love talking about um, a lot of fun memories. But we'll jump into the football news real quick. Kind of go rapid fire with this as well. Um, Three star tight end Jonte Connor decommitted last week, um, and I'll tie this one in there because we talked about it a little bit earlier. UCF target Randy Pittman, a three-star tight end, decommitted from Florida State. So it's almost like those dots. might be tied together. <laughs> connect the dots there, as, as you will. Um, Isaiah Nixon, in the week since we've talked about it, officially committed to Florida. Everyone knew that was happening, um, of course. Coffeeville uh, Community College quarterback Will Bond, I think is how you say his name, committed to UCF as a preferred walk-on. Um, UCF wide receiver target Lamar Seymour, decommitted from Miami. There's a lot of you know random recruiting stuff in here uh, for right now. Lamar Seymour is um, a guy that. I think UCF was under the impression they were going to get, but I don't know how likely that's looking now. I'll have to check with that. Okay, interesting. Um, UCF defensive back Marco Domeo entered the transfer portal. Um, I think UCF, that was probably a circumstantial thing where just UCF has so many talented corners and DBs that he Yeah, he just didn't really catch the writing on, on the that, wall. That might be the deepest position for UCF this year or the deepest position group. Or I don't know yeah. how to say that. Deepest multiple, deepest secondary. I don't know. Just yeah. whatever. <laughs> deepest position group. That part of the team's um, going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Gus Malzahn hires, uh, hired former... App State Director of Player Personnel Andrew Blaylock as a special assistant to the head coach. He replaces Ross Newton, who left last month to go coach high school football in Alabama. And a couple more staff additions. Deshaun Davis was announced officially as a grad assistant, and Brendan Bognar was announced as an offensive analyst. Uh, UCF partnered with Frank Gay Services for a sponsorship agreement. 
Um, I think the notable thing about this for fans is that there's going to be a dedicated cool, uh, dedicated cool zone areas within the east and west concourses. Of Thank the God. House, which I feel I'm going to take advantage of. Not a thing that affects me, but my goodness, people complain about that all the time. So I'm glad they're yeah. actually doing something. Um, UCF is in the top eight for 2023 three-star defensive back Jeremiah Anglin. They join Tennessee, Alabama, Penn State, Jackson State, Pitt, Kentucky, and Florida State. Uh, two crystal ball predictions on 24-7. Back from March, have him going to Florida State. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and then I've been skipping around a bunch. So this is actually really bad. But I think it's the last one. Alex Ward received preseason third-team All-American honors from Phil Steele. So that'll do that. We'll move on to Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. It's Mackenzie Milton, guys. <laughs> um, this is the first time that a current or former UCF player has earned a tweet of the week, but uh, Mackenzie Milton uh, quote tweeted the news of Bowman coming to UCF and said, not trying to set expectations too high, but these boys might run the table. A Bowman's not going to play this year. So I don't know why that news is getting that take from Milton. And second, just don't do this, man. Like, please don't. Cause that even got me excited. I'm the most negative person in the world. I'm like, now it's just going to be that much worse when they go 10 and three. Like I just, and 10 and three is good. So I just t- tweet of the week goes to Milton for getting me excited. Shouldn't have done that. For getting <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to do that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I had mean, to. I had to. I don't know why he said that. There's no There's no need for that. Yeah, I was say, there's, there's nothing. You don't gain anything. Well, I don't know. Yeah, you don't. You don't gain anything from setting expectations that high. And it was all because, off a player who's not going to play this year, most likely. Because <laughs> the only thing you do gain is, like, excitement. But everyone's excited for this season anyway. Like, I don't let everybody else have their own you know, maybe sometimes foolishly high expectations and let everything play out. All that but. does is UCF's going to go 12 and two and people are going to be mad. <laughs> like, like that's how that'll end. McKenzie Milton promised uh, undefeated. So I'm going to need my money back on my season tickets. Um, yeah. Love McKenzie Milton though. Um, oh, all right. We'll, uh, we will be back next week with episode 81, which like I said, I think next week is when we start some of our preliminary season. Preseason shows are which... finally starting. We're finally there. We made it. We've got some fun stuff planned for the next month. It's going to be a good time. Definitely. Definitely going to start getting even more excited for the season, which actually I've been meaning to start doing like the weekly countdown thing. And I completely think we're eight weeks away. Aren't we? Is it eight weeks? I I know I tweeted a couple weekends ago. It was 11 weeks. Yeah. Whatever it is. We'll start doing that more next week because it's going to be July. We'll be roughly two months away from the opener. Um, But until next week, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams, 22 at by CA Simmons and at night sports. Now, Once again, thank you guys so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.